Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. The debates over big tech and online censorship were thrown for a loop this week when Elon Musk, the multi-billionaire owner of SpaceX and Tesla, announced that he had bought a substantial stake in Twitter, and Twitter announced that the company would be appointing Musk to its board. So what does all that mean? And going further, what could the continuing rise of a man like Musk mean for public policy and philanthropy? This week, I'm joined by senior investigative researcher Ken Braun and director of communications and external relations Sarah Lee for a Capital Research Center roundtable on tech, Musk, and philanthropy. Uh, welcome to both of y'all. Glad to be here. Yep, thanks, Mike. So I, w- uh, I will start by just asking both of you, what, what do we make of Musk in, at Twitter? Uh, there's been a lot of, obviously, dispute over how the platform has been regulating speech, obviously highlighted by the expulsion of former President Donald Trump from the site. Um, You know, do we think that Musk will be an agent of change, or do we think that he'll be an agent of the status quo? Uh, Well, I'll I'll go first. Um, I I, I honestly don't know. Um, He definitely preceded his uh, purchase of, I think it was 9.2% or something, um, Twitter stock uh, purchase, $2.89 billion. He preceded that with a couple of tweets, you know, that were fairly critical of, of Twitter and, and how it had been um, sort of censorious. Um, he took a poll asking, you know, users of Twitter what they thought about sort of Twitter's free speech um, and how they used it in that capacity. So, um, it's hard to say because some people are arguing that while he expresses those kinds of um, uh, principles, it's going to be a very difficult thing to just change a platform that has been known to basically just kick you off if you're not speaking the right party line. Ken? I uh, think Elon Musk probably can't order a carryout pizza without doing it. Uh, the way the status quo would do it. Um, he's, he's, um, look, I mean, he, he built that automaker. He didn't look at it and say, you know, I mean, to use the old Henry Ford line, I wasn't just trying to build a faster horse. Elon Musk broke down the whole idea. I think his quote was that, uh, the reason he got into the auto business is because he looked at cars and decided they were stupid. And then completely rebuilt the car from the ground up. It wasn't that he was trying to make an electric vehicle. He was trying to make a performance car, and he decided electricity, a battery technology, was the best way to to, to approach it. And, uh, you know, mo- most of the other automakers are still trying to catch up. They're still trying to, you know, they, they're making battery-powered horses at this point. And, you know, Musk personally is worth more right now than Ford, General Motors, and, you know, whoever owns Chrysler this week um tesla's a billion dollar or a trillion dollar company excuse me um and so i mean i when when you know he, he looked at the war in ukraine they knocked out the ukraine's power and he said oh or not their power well they did that too but yeah, he, it, you know, it was the, he sent he sent them the starling satellite right 
it wasn't I'm going to send them Starlink, we're working on this. It's It'll be there next week, and here's the stuff. And, oh, they think they're going to shoot down my satellites? Oh, I can put them up faster than they can shoot them down. I mean, what we're looking at here, status quo, this guy is, is for, for the Marvel Comics fan, this is Tony Stark. I mean, it, it come to life. The guy just finds ways to to uh, to to change problems, not not nearly fix them. So Twitter, I, I I'd be shocked if something if he doesn't royal Twitter in a in a positive way. I mean, the only negative thing I can say about the guy is that he, uh, you know, he he took the bailout money before the bailout money, you know, when when it, when it happened. But unlike General Motors, he paid it back. So and well, like he also he also works with in China. There are some criticisms about that. So I like the guy too. I hope he does kind of carry through. I agree with you. He has what we call in the vernacular "fu" money. So he, <laughs> yeah. Can, yeah, he can he can do what he wants. Um, is, is he is he as of as of the time of this discussion the richest man on earth, or is he? Yes, I checked beforehand. He has oh. he has the 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 happy sum as of yesterday's market close of two hundred and seventy six billion dollars. Yeah, Jeez. but he does, there are some concerns because he does have like a data center in China and, um, you know, we know that China has a terrible human rights abuse record. Um, and, and, a, and a terrible and a terrible record for censorship. And, right. But that's you know, the, sort, but the sort of, the, I mean, obviously the, you know, the Chinese internet is bounded by the great firewall to keep out, you know, people in the West who might otherwise tell the Chinese people that what their government is telling them is not true. And, and I think let's judge him by the standards of, of, of every other business on earth. He's, he's, everybody's in China right now. So it's not a, this is true. That's not a terrible surprise. It's, it's, it's the different things that he does that I look at. I, it's, I, I, the bounds of conventional politics, I find kind of boring to discuss um, someone that can do things like, announced that he's going to drop internet into a war zone and make it stick. Yeah. yeah and, I, and in fact, in fact, I, I want to build off that mention of that. He is somehow outside the bounds of conventional politics, that he's truly an odd duck. Cause obviously here's a guy who should have delivered progressives what they wanted. He made the electric car. We can debate how practical a Tesla is for all cases, but at least for some people, he made it exceptionally practical. Uh, he made it cool, like mm-hmm. a lot people wanted to buy, um, and liberals hate him because mm-hmm. he doesn't do it the way that the United Auto Workers tells do him. Do they to. hate him? They like his money. I think I think it is, it is interesting, I mean, to flip that on its head... Um, as, you know the practicality of a Tesla. You're right. Teslas are performance cars. It's as pra- it's slightly more practical than a Ferrari, right? A low end Ferrari. Um, it's a fast car. It's got amazing technology in it. Somehow Elon Musk has convinced all of these progressive nuts that flashy cars are 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 good things rather than you know evil status symbols like a Ferrari, for example. It is interesting to see them kind of sort of love hate him because you're right. He makes a cool product. He's kind of a cool guy. He flies outside conventional sort of lines and everyone loves an anti-hero, right? I mean, there's a whole movie franchise to be made about, you know, SpaceX. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
they do kind of get mad at him for kind of leaning, I think, a little libertarian. He's he's funded, his foundation has given some money to Cato Institute, which is center-right and libertarian. So they do sort of love-hate him. He is an enigma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. again, here, like, you know, here's a guy who, you know, takes green subsidies but also gives to Cato, who, you know, goes on Joe Rogan but also – you know, so far as we know, has at least, you know, mostly social liberal beliefs. I mean, you know, so I think it's very, it's interesting to sort of put him as, you know, as a billionaire who has these advocacy philanthropic aims against somebody like a George Soros or Mark Zuckerberg or Pierre Amadier, who's sort of orthodox on the left, or somebody like a Peter Thiel, Charles Koch, or Richard Uline, who is sort of orthodox on the right. You know, okay, we can debate Charles Koch. But the, <laughs> uh, but the, you know, that, that he's, that Musk is truly, you know, you can't pigeonhole him like that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, especially when he comes out and does something like this. I, I think you can rely on Elon Musk to give a unique and outside of whatever box a lot of people have put him in solution slash take to any, any, you know, challenge idea issue that comes up. I, you know, he, he, the discussion of, you know, when, when the administration says they're going to forgive college loans or at least defer payment, Elon Musk comes out on Twitter and says, you know, what is wrong with a society that'll let a teenager go several hundred thousand dollars in debt to go to college, but won't allow them to take out a $10,000 loan to start a business? Um, You know, Russia's running out of natural gas coming in from from the from Russia. Russia's not running out of natural yeah, gas. You're, you're Germany. Out of gas from Russia. <laughs> Germany is running out of German natural gas or desperate to find a new supply, whatever. Elon Musk says, you know what, folks, uh, the Germans shouldn't have shut down their nuclear facilities and we need new, new nuclear power plants if we're going to meet the energy needs that we have coming with lower carbon emissions. You know, that's just the last month of, uh, of public policy debate. Yeah, well, he also, what's interesting to me, and, and Mike kind of set it up, this sort of billionaire, you know, uh, effect on, it's what I call the billionaire's effect, basically, on our society and our culture. You know, we, we study that at, at CRC, and um, because we don't know which way he's going to go, um, shouldn't we be just as wary of how he's potentially going to be doling out his I think was it five billion dollar that went billion dollars that went into what most people assume is a is a DAF a fund that he can then distribute later to charity. Um, I, I think it's it's too early right now to know like whether or not he's going to just do the things conservatives would say. Yes, that's going to go toward good public policy. Although I I do like his sort of maverick style, um, but we we're very wary of billionaire i mean aren't we were we very wary of billionaires approach to these things i'll for i'll set this up for ken so before 2016 uh who made all his money in ebay um had a much more unorthodox giving 
than uh, than he has in recent years, where he's basically sort of fallen in line with mainstream left progressivism. Uh, you know, there there was a lot of you know, until the 2016 election, there was a lot of questions about, you know, what does Mark Zuckerberg believe? Do we really know? And he turned out to be a pretty orthodox liberal so far as we can tell. Uh, you know, do we think that, to borrow a phrase that conservatives use a lot, do we think Musk is going to grow in office and just turn into a progressive? I think what we've seen so far is, I, I've, I've, you know, we've been discussing Tesla, the trillion-dollar company, Um but that's not all he does. Unlike a lot of these guys who become known for one big thing and then and then they don't really, um, you know, he's like a one man Apple computer. He just keeps looking for new markets to disrupt and destroy. Um, and I and I, so that's that is a happy way to look at that. That maybe that's not where we're headed here. Um, but I mean, I mean, just look at the look at the business that he started in with the autos. I mean, name one other automotive executive, if you even want to try and put him in that box anymore, that is as interesting as Elon Musk, right? Mary Barrett. Mary Barrett. Good or is it always going to be good? Like, is it? I'm saying part of what we're saying is it isn't like because at some point, I mean, he's not a conservative. Mm -mm. You know, he's not we're not going to agree with him on everything in any in 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 every way. He's not an he's not an ideological doctrinaire libertarian, obviously. He's you know, he's taken government funding, yeah. government subsidies, government aid for his factories and for and obviously the electric car stuff. Um but you know, I, I like I I struggle to see why he would have bought into Twitter if he was, you know, in the sort of classic, I'm just doing this to make money because mm-hmm. he's got more money than he would than everyone in his line will need for a hundred, you know, for a hundred, if not a thousand years. That's a mm-hmm. good point. Why did the, he do it? You know, so sort of like Bezos buying the Washington Post. Speaking of people who we thought might have been unorthodox but have turned out to be orthodox liberals, um, you know, Bezos buys the Washington Post. Why? Well, obviously, it's I mean, the only possible logical explanation is that he did it for influence in Washington, D.C. and in Northern Virginia, where he is locating the, set, the HQ2 of his company. Yeah. You know, I, so, I think... I, mean, no, I no. would... I Also, and Bezos, interestingly, is is arguably co-equal in wealth production. His, his ex-wife has half of it. Otherwise, he'd probably be... <laughs> Not second to Musk, but tied with him. Um, so the Mary well, guys, fellas. <laughs> right. So these two, these two are, are good comparison points. They're both, you know, n- new money. They're not. They're not conventional. Uh, Bezos is known for making a, for lack of a better word, a a bigger uh, a breaking the Walmart business model, and that's it. Right, the rest of it, he's just bought money. He's bought things with his money. Musk keeps looking for new things to destroy in a good way, and so that's why I, I said earlier. I think trying to pigeonhole him or trying to try to talk about this guy within the left, right, or or even you know multi ideology boxes kind of shrinks the discussion down more than I'd like. He's he's a much bigger 
cultural force than that. Yeah. I mean, this, this is a, this is a guy who goes who goes on Joe Rogan, which I believe mm-hmm. is the most popular podcast in the con- in mm-hmm. the country, if not the world. And it's high. Uh, yeah, to mix a joint. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I agree with you, Ken. I think he is bigger than the left-right boxes, but that's partially. While on the one hand, I'm just playing devil's advocate here because my personal opinion about him, not work-related, I totally dig his Maverick style. Totally. But it does concern me from a public policy perspective because as powerful as he can be as a non-ideological player or a player on, on the right, he can be just as big a player on the left. And we've seen over the last several years how damaging that can be. So just some of their public policy ideas on that side have been really sort of sort of scary, right? They've kind of upended society. So... Um, I do worry about that with Elon Musk, although I, I'm fairly optimistic personally. I like what he's saying, for example, about philanthropy. I think I, I mentioned to you guys that one of the things he said is, I, I think, you know, giving money to charity, you should care about the outcomes, not just the perception, <laughs> which is a very cool thing to say. Yeah. And, and I and interestingly, um, the I'll tease the blog that I don't know if you put it up yet or not, but the uh, the discussion of, of his giving i think this is on influence watch uh the giving to some of the conventional which is to say really bad uh climate alarmist groups uh those are all anti-nuclear groups those are all from an elon musk perspective stupid organizations and it's possible a man with a quarter trillion dollars and growing in his bank account will just you know you're worried about the things that he will give to what if he what if he's a disruptor in the charitable field with what he does with his money as much as anything else? You may oppose the groups that he's giving money to, but what if he shakes them up? What if he turns them into something that in a 30 years we look at and say, you know, this, we're, we're at a spot nobody predicted we were going to be with philanthropy because of the things this man has done within some of these organizations that he's burrowing into and changing. So you see him more as almost in that scenario, he's a visionary and he sees the larger picture. I, and I, I would prefer the word disruptor. He doesn't okay. get involved in anything that he doesn't say that is fundamentally broken in some way. And he's going on in his own brain, has some way of fixing it and finds the people around him to do it and makes it happen. Does that mean I'm going to agree with everything he's going to do? No. I mean, I already disagree with the taking the bailout money i mean my my corporate welfare aversion is so pronounced that when i get my new license plate that has the pure michigan corporate welfare tourism slogan across the top i'm going to white it out and invite a cop to pull me over so i can start a first amendment case over it all right that's where i stand on that so i don't agree with him taking the bailout money and i and and found that repulsive when that was all i knew about elon musk um a lot more has come out since 2009. All right. Well, then I will now put it to the group for the conclusion in the sort of brief conclusion. Do we think, you know, we do we think do, do we think that that Musk buying into Twitter, starting to get more active in philanthropy, do we think that that's by and large going to be a good thing? Uh, or are are we are we are we going to be cautious? Are we cautious about it? Uh, I think 
In the long run, I tend to think it'll be a good thing. Um, And just to qualify that a little bit, um, it can never be bad when we've got really, really ideological billionaires already um, affecting that industry or that um, sector, I guess, the way that they are. To have someone who, as Ken keeps saying, is a bit of a disruptor there. So I think in the long run, I've played a little bit of devil's advocate today, but in the long run, I think it's probably a good thing. Yeah, I think he'll be bored if he just does it the way it's always been done. He's not doing it for that reason. Um, I, I, can you imagine what Elon Musk was like as a child in like third grade? And so, um, so well, yeah, there are I, I, stories about that that his dad oh, was very, very hard on him. <laughs> um, I think uh, he didn't, he did, he, he, maybe they didn't let him play with Legos, so now he plays with space rockets. Right, exactly. right, yeah. He, well, he they prob- expected a lot of him because he was, he was clearly a genius. Probably was building rockets in third grade, and that was frowned upon during recess. Um, yeah, so yeah, I agree. I agree um, completely with with what Sarah just uh, laid out. I, specific details there's things that's going to irritate everybody he may irritate himself but that, but that's his, i mean that's his odd that's his odd duck yeah nature. like like mm-hmm. he has he has weird beliefs about certain things and and he also tries some stuff that don't work yeah but he's and, got a quarter trillion dollars so if he tries a couple things that don't work he's still got plenty of money coming in from things that do yeah and i think on net um unless this man has some sort of worm getting his brain completely changes personality uh, decades on from this, um, it will be looked upon at least by anyone who likes change and likes to see things disrupted and improved upon uh, will be seen or as has, better. Or has problems with the philanthropic and mega corporate business sector as they exist. As they right. Exist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. If you're the if you're the status quo, I like I was getting at. Uh, you know, the, the most interesting auto executive outside of Elon Musk is is Mary Barra at General Motors, and that's only because she's a woman. Otherwise, she's just as babble speak boring as all the boys who have held the same job for the last thirty years. So, um, and I don't even know that you can even call Musk an auto executive anymore, even though that clearly is one of his hats. I mean. No other auto executive holds, you know, holds that as just sort of a, uh, you know, something else on the desk that he does. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So. What do you think, Mike? Do you think it'll be good or bad in the long run? I, I think it's better to have people in these positions who do not share, even if, even if they're a bit wacky like Musk, that do not share the total view, the, the sort of same pair of glasses the same ideology if you want to call it that of the rest of the people in these silicon valley c-suites uh you know the the, we if you have everybody is from the same mold and believes the same things and came out of the same business schools or came out of the same you know they all went to caltech and did the same courses and they all live in the same you know, they all live in Palo Alto and they all have the same views, you know, then maybe you need to bring in somebody who's just off the wall, like Musk sometimes can be, to, again, to use the, to use the cliche to disrupt it. And, you know, uh, like, like Sarah, you were saying earlier, I think Musk is saying the right things. Uh, I don't think he would do this if he did not have some uh, 
you know, disruptive, semi-ideological, you know, free speechy desire to do this. He, the, the guys from the Babylon Bee who have had a spat with the Twitter management said that Musk reached out to them before he, ostensibly before he bought, or before he announced that he had this stake. Um, you know, so if that's true, that's probably an indication that of, of where I, his... Go ahead, Ken. I was going to say, that that particular thing there, the Twitter deal, the way that all just came down out of the blue, I mean, I assume he planned it out more than that, but it it, it I could see Musk, if he gets frustrated with where things are not going at Twitter, turning it into the very first crowdsourced hostile takeover and, and, and hell, I'll buy stock in it just to be part <laughs> of the revolution, you know, so... <laughs> That would be a very interesting thing to happen because of just the nature of what I think is coming when it comes to big tech. There, there are going to be some discussions around antitrust. There's going to be discussions around, you know, obviously we've been talking about censorship. So an actual hostile takeover and a sea change in one of those platforms would be absolutely fascinating in today's sort of environment. Yeah. I mean, Mike and I, I think, are on the same page on, on where we were at when the discussion of whether tech should be um, brought, you know, whether government regulation should be brought down on tech to to make it behave better as far as the um, um, speech silencing aspects of it, just like he did with the the, the satellites over Ukraine. Musk Musk didn't didn't wait for government to fix it. He just jumped in and and just decided I'll fix this myself. Ken, do you <laughs> and, have a poster of Elon Musk in your house? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, but uh, I, you, you guys, you guys yesterday when we were kicking this around made me start thinking. And that's when I, I don't know. I woke up in the middle of the night with the uh, Tony Stark comparison. So. Yeah, no, it's a good one. It's apt. I think. All right. Well, thanks again to my colleagues, Sarah Lee and Ken Braun for joining us. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. These ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week.